This is What's the Story with Kim Burns, and I'm here with Jen Scott, and she is the adult program manager for Al the Alfanginski School. <laughs> Say it again. For the Alfanginski School at Alta. At Alta. Okay, so it's not associated with Alta Lodge per se, or is it? It is not. Oh. We are a separate entity. We are part of the Alta Ski Lifts Company. So I just want to tell our listeners that, that this is What's the Story, and this story happens to be happening out in Alta, Utah, and the reason I had to track Jen down to talk to her about what's going on in skiing nowadays, what's going on with women in skiing, is because I had seen in the New York Times an incredible article, I think it was in November, women ski groups and how hot that is right now for a variety of reasons. Maybe we should just start with that and then we'll go backwards how, how you got here. Okay. Yeah, that article is was fantastic. Elizabeth Vincitelli wrote that article. She came to camp. I know she came to yeah. camp, right? And you put her in a group that was, she thought was over her head. It was really fun. She did great. Okay. She did really well. So you guys are, they, they were talking about five different camps, but that you were one of the best in North America. So one thing we do that no one else does, uh, and it makes it a little intense for the instructors as well, we stay there. So we have breakfast, lunch, dinner, cocktails with and stay overnight oh, you're kidding. during the camp. So that is something no, that no one else does. Because everybody who says they come once have to come back because they, they, they love all the people involved. We have tons of repeat offenders. Right. Tons. <laughs> well, and it was so funny that the person who wrote the article was saying how she said, oh, no, I can't be in the group, uh, uh, advanced, intermediate, whatever it was, because she had underestimated her ski level where it's always the opposite with men where they always think they're better than they, uh, that's hilarious to me. It is true. It's true? It's very true. So, but you've always taught all sorts of people from children to the people identify as men. Yep. From way back. Let's go yep. and talk about how you even got into skiing. Were you always a skier? I was always a skier. I grew up ski racing. Where'd you grow up? Montana. Oh. North of Missoula. All and right. I grew up ski racing up there. Uh, I was done ski racing really by the time I was about 16 and went to college. So why was that? Is it, it's really tough, right? It's tough. It's a tough circuit. I was pretty burnt out by 16 and um, I had the opportunity to just go straight to college. So. so when you started out in skiing, what approximately what year was this? Seven, late 70s. So the late 70s, were there a lot of women who were ski racing or no? Was it a big um, thing? So it was early 80s, so there were quite a few girls getting into it at that point. I was six. Um, I was two when I started skiing and six wow. when I started ski racing. So um, there were more girls. There mm -hmm. were. We were about half and half. And That's interesting. Yeah. So then do people go to college to ski too, right? They do. Right. But you, do. you didn't choose that route. I coached through college. University oh. of Montana. So I figured out that they would pay me to nice. go to school or pay for my school if I coached. Interesting. So that was where I went. And then who do you coach? How does that work? Uh, the Montana ski team. The, really? The University of Montana. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. As, as a co-ed, as a student. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, then what happens next? Because you decide that, okay, I'm good at this coaching thing. So what I guess, am I going to do? So there's a certification process okay. in ski instructing and in coaching. So in ski instructing, I went and got my, there's a level one, which is just beginning ski teaching, and you get certified to do that. And then you go to level two, which is through about an intermediate adult, and you get certified to do that. Uh, and then level three is you're teaching your peers. 
and you go through these multi-day certifications to get a level three certification takes years. And who's doing this? Who's the Professional Ski Instructors of America? Okay. It is an association that we all belong to. Here at Alta, we don't have anyone teaching that's not a certified ski instructor. Right, right. And if somebody comes out and they want to achieve this, let's say that they're a decent skier, can anyone at any age try to get a certificate? How does that work? They can. Um, level one is it's not very demanding. Okay. It is, you can teach lower levels, you can teach kids, and they certify you in the ways of teaching, the ways of, you know, bettering your skiing at least somewhat. Level two is a little more athletic endeavor. Right. So you have to be a better skier, you have to be able to teach it up to intermediates, and you have to be a little savvy to what's going on with your teaching. You have to be able to change things. You have to really have an eye for it. And level three, teaching your peers, it's a couple day exam. You have to be, it does, it is athletic. You have to be a good skier. You have to be able to teach your peers and you have to be able to do movement analysis that guarantees that they get enough information to change their skiing. So when you have people come to you, whether it's men or women or, uh, you're coming in, you're evaluating their level of expertise, obviously. Yeah. But because you can, you can teach anyone because of your level of certification, then what do you, you look at a group and you divide them up normally by ability, right? We do. Okay, so then as an instructor, do you normally choose the most difficult, challenging group of skiers? Is that something that you pursue? Or is that something that the organization says, you know what, today, Jen, this is, this is who you're going to teach? Um, in camps. Yeah. Because I run the camps, I usually take the, high, take the highest level, which we mix it up a little bit. Okay. Um, a lot of those women, it's just how it's, it's gone over time. We've been doing women's camps here for about 12 years. And as they've grown, I, I started the first one, so I just usually take the higher group. Right. It's, it's just worked out that way. But right. we, may, we, we are going to experiment with other people and giving... I think there's some value in having, um, after women have heard me talk for the last 8 to 10 years, having them listen to someone else. It's just a different way of hearing things. We're all working on the same things. We right. do video in the morning. Um, I heard the video thing is really scary. <laughs> because nobody really wants to see what they look like. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to look at yourself on tape no matter what you're doing. Right. But skiing, it's, I don't think the average skier, unless they're someone like yourself, really has any clue of how ridiculous they can look, oh. particularly on the challenging stuff. And I tell them, think of it this way. At least we're not at surf camp and you're in a bikini, right? Oh, that's so true. So, yeah. I mean, I at mean, least you get it could be worse. the, the cover-up and the camouflage <laughs> and everything else, right? It could be worse. So, <laughs> right now, when you talk about uh, these different levels. We're talking about alpine skiing? Alpine skiing. Okay. And you do everything from alpine, telemark, uh, backcountry, Nordic. Uh, which of these should we challenge first and tell our listeners about and say, okay, if you're going to try to telemark ski, that's a completely different animal, isn't it? It's a completely different thing. Okay. Yeah, so we don't the, do any camps for that. The, isn't the back of the boot lifting up it is. So can you explain a little bit? So telemark skiing is what skiing used to be. Before the old bear trap bindings that were invented in the 50s in Idaho, uh, that's what everyone did from the, the Norwegians to the Swedish. That's what skiing was. Your heel lifted up so you could walk in them. 
Okay. So before the 50s, that was skiing. So was that more like for getting around? It was. Okay. Transport. Which I find so interesting because, and now I, I, I digress a bit, but if you ski in Europe, it's such a different feeling because I always feel like I'm going from town to town, you know, from one five-star restaurant to the next on skis. It's the most sensational thing. It is. It really it's is. It's wonderful. So telemarketing, so that, that makes sense then. Yeah. And uh, why is it popular or not popular here? Why would someone choose to do that or not choose to do that? It's actually losing a little bit of its popularity. It was very popular uh, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s because uh, it was a way to travel in the mountains. It was a way to go backcountry touring right? and be able to walk up and then ski down where now alpine touring setups where they're a really, uh, they're a stiffer boot and then you can click your heel back down. The technology has come forth that we can click the heel back down and you can still walk uphill with that gear, but click your heel down in Alpine to get down something in Interesting. the backcountry. So, so every time I see a, a telemarketer skier, I always think, oh man, their knees are gotta be crazy because you have to, it's, it's a different bend, right? It's lots of lunges. L- lunges, that's <laughs> the word I'm looking for, <laughs> yes. lunges. Okay, so then your tele- telemarketer is backcountry skiing to a degree, so what's the difference with backcountry skiing, period? Is there, I mean, I, I, I've seen people with uh, skins. Does yep. that have something yep. to do with backcountry? Yep, that's how you get up the hill. You put the skins on the bottom of the ski and you can telemark up or you can use an alpine touring setup, which lets the back of the heel free Okay. Uh, while you're going up. It does the same thing as telemark, only now alpine skiers can just click the heel down and ski down instead of having to learn a telemark turn. So... You know, the average person, the average American slob cannot do this stuff. I mean, I, I just have to say, and I wish that the listeners could have seen the incredible beauty today here in Alta on Catherine. And how far do you think that climb is? Because for somebody like me, it feels like 10 miles. <laughs> and of course it isn't. And you've right. got your skis on your back uh-huh. and that's all fine. But it's really not that big of a distance except unless, you do, unless you're not used to it. Right. And we are up there at 10,000 feet. 10,000 feet. 10,000 feet. Right. So there is significantly less oxygen in the air, which makes it feel, you know, every couple of steps feel much longer. Yeah, it's really really interesting. I was going to ask you about uh, adaptability because I'm fortunate that I don't really get hit by the altitude sickness. When you're running a women's camp, and somebody comes out and they get struck by that, which can last days. I know it said in the article that they recommended coming out a couple of days early for that particular adjustment. Mm-hmm. Understandable. But some people don't really adjust. Is there any recommendation that you and your professional friends give to these folks? So I'm a nurse by trade. Oh, wow. So that helps. That helps, um, that helps me be huge. able to look at things. Yeah. That so makes you more compassionate for people who are really getting on your nerves because of minor ailments. Nurses are so good. It's one of those things. So um, if you know, if you come out and you do get a bout of altitude sickness, it doesn't mean it's going to happen next time. You are a little bit more prone to it in the long run. Some people just oh, really? don't deal with it well. Some people can go climb a mountain at 15,000 feet and never get sick. And then, like some of the famous climbers, Ranholt Bessner, he got sick uh, and he had climbed Everest numerous times. And he got sick lower than he'd been and died of it. 
No. Um, altitude sickness. So and what, what uh, I know what the symptoms are, the dehydration, the headaches, all that sort yeah. of thing, but how does it then cause death? So you can, so your first signs of it are a headache. You're, right. And it can be so, if really what they say is if it's more severe than that can, then can be cured by a couple of ibuprofen, you need to get an IV and oxygen. Because your oxygen, especially if you have been sick prior to coming, if you oh, had I a see. cold, right. if you've had the flu, you are more, uh, your body's just less good at dealing with it. So we do have a clinic here at Alta that we send people down to. Uh, the clinic is fabulous. They are really good at, so they'll take an oxygen level in the blood and they will give you oxygen. And if it's bad enough and you don't seem to recover right away, they'll send a small oxygen tank with you that you'll sleep with. And you can have a nasal cannula in for overnight and that get, they can lend it to you for your, the length of your stay. And that seems to significantly help people. Wow. It's awesome. Of course, nobody wants to end up in that situation. So give us a few tips on precautionary measure on your way out and what to bring with your, in your suitcase. So, uh, you know, maybe preventative or okay. some places you check in and their humidity levels are really low. Yep. Maybe they haven't been pumping it through their air vents or whatever. So what yep. should people do? I, I think it's a big crisis because then you can't go out and skate. Right. It defeats the purpose of coming on vacation. Exactly. Yeah. And if you feel terrible, then you can't do anything. Right. Or anything well. Right. So uh, the first thing would be if you know that you are prone to not acclimatizing well, then you'll want to get here a at least a couple days early. Maybe not even ski on your first day. That helps people. Drink a ton of water on your way here. Make sure you're getting electrolytes, which you can buy in the tubes. You can buy... People just, should do that. People should do that. If they know they're prone to it. Right. Um, then people usually come out a day early. Make sure you're getting enough electrolytes. You know, when you fly on the plane, that in and of itself is dehydrating. Yep. So when you get up here, you're at 8,000 feet. And you need to... You need to Give yourself enough time to uh, eat small meals. It's better to eat small meals than it is to eat, eat bigger meals. Your body just processes it easier. Right, and low intakes of alcohol. Right, alcohol does not help. Doesn't help. So wine at elevation is the most terrible thing you can drink because your liver has time or a hard time processing the tannins. What about vodka? Vodka's better. Anything clear. <laughs> All right, look at this. Okay, and I then I have to recommend to my listeners tequila. Right. Tequila is a fabulous one. It is, though. It is. Yeah. Tequila and soda water. See, um, this is fabulous when you're talking to the, the ski pros. Jen Scott telling us all about how to drink vodka and <laughs> tequila. Uh, I, I found something interesting when I was trying to figure out more about how wonderful people like yourself do this this type of job. Um, I have noticed, though, that uh, the population for skiing in general has gone down just a little bit in the last 10 years, they're saying. Uh, the numbers that uh, I saw anyway were that it's at like 6.8 million people uh, from 7.3 million. It's actually a lot of people. It is. Uh, everyone I know who skis still loves to ski. What do you think is going on in the ski industry right now? Well, I think we're seeing a few important trends that, yes, there are 
a few less skiers, but those skiers who ski are more dedicated to it. Okay. And people are living longer and doing sports into their into their 80s. We have a population of skiers here at Alta. We actually were giving so many of passes away when the passes were free at 70 that we moved it to 75 and then we were giving so many passes away at 75 that they moved it to 80. So to get a free pass, you have to be 80 to And you really here. have earned it. <laughs> you, have. you have earned it at 80. <laughs> you have. So, you know, what do you attribute that to? I mean, I think it's fabulous that people are staying in such good shape that they're out here at 75 and 80 and battling the altitude and, you know, yeah. the, the sometimes very severe weather. I mean, yesterday it was zero yep. with zero visibility at the top of the mountain. And I saw all sorts of folks out there. Yep. Minus 20, minus 20 windchills yesterday. Minus 20 windchills. That was... I felt. That yes. I felt. It's tricky. So uh, I also wanted to talk about what you think is going on with women in skiing because that's on the increase. It is. And what do you think? I mean, you've, you've worked in all sorts of places. Let, maybe we should talk about that first. You're in also now Park City? I worked at Park City for two years as a race coach, and that was 25 years ago. Wow. So it was a while ago. So you've been here a long time. Yeah. Since 1994? Yep. Right, 94. And so it, the, the sport is attracting more women. It is. Why is that? I think women are learning that there's balance in life and that taking care of them means a better family situation. It brings balance to everybody. I know for me, that's what it's, so I have two boys and my husband's very supportive of what I do and it brings balance to our lives. If I'm happy, everybody gets to be happy. Right. If I feel whole as a person and I'm attaining my goals as a woman, I am going to be happier at home. And I think women are really looking at that and saying, yeah, that's, I don't have to just be mom. I can go out and ski hard and I can accomplish goals and I can take three days for myself and come to a women's ski camp and meet other women that ski and then have friends to do it with. Well, and I also sort of feel like women who ski, for example, tend to be like-minded. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they have those higher aspirations or they want those challenges and they don't shy away from it because, I mean, I have a feeling that it's three days of intense training from what I've read. It is, but, you know, we, do, we don't do any camps below an intermediate. You can't. Yeah, we, it's too hard right. to get everything right. organized for people. So the women we get, even at the lower end, are dedicated skiers. They're, right. key, they're skiers in their core. I mean, they know they are a skier. And they most likely have really great outfits, which is a <laughs> high criteria for me. Right. And this is the way I justify coming with my family is buying myself nice things before I come, so I look sharp. Yep. It's yeah, it's just part of the package. It's a great thing. <laughs> it is. It is. So going back to having kids and having a great family sport like skiing, what is the recommended age? Not everybody's going to start at two like you did. Right for kids, um, I, I would say you know our ski school here will put them in a group at five, five years old. So prior to that, they probably have some sort of like daycare facilities and things we like that. We have a great daycare. She is amazing with the kids. And then you can, you can arrange for them to also have a half day private or a couple hour private. Uh, that's how my kids learn to ski because I never could take the time to ski with them, nor did I want to ski with them as a parent. I think it's so much nice. I mean, the instructors, my kids are absolutely the most wonderful people on earth, which does not happen once the lesson's over. Right. <laughs> 
True. So, so that you could recommend that where they yes. do a half day private or even the group, they, they love hanging out with the other kids. Yep. Once they're five, they, I, I think peer pressure is a fabulous thing. Big incentive. Big incentive. Yeah. They do what the other kids do. No one complains about doing it. All the other kids are doing it. They learn from the instructor. They learn from the kids. And they make lifetime friendships here. Right. These kids come year after year after year. And the same kids are here at President's Week. And some of the kids I know are 24 years old now. Isn't that great? It's amazing. So Alta is blessed with some of the best snow on earth. Sort of powdery, light, sugary. How do you describe yep. it? It's very light. They would call it champagne powder most of the time. Okay. And its density is between 3 and 5% density. And nowhere else gets that. We're at the top of a canyon. Is that why, though? Can, do is. you know literally why you yep. get... So we were 8,400 feet at our base. We're at the top of a canyon, and the Great Salt Lake sits to the north and west of us. So most of our storms come in from the northwest, and as the clouds come over the warm Great Salt Lake, they pick up moisture. We are directly in that path. As it hits the canyon and comes up the canyon, it's called orographic uplifting. It lifts the clouds up. They come to the top of the canyon, which we sit up at the top of the canyon. They get stuck up here, and all the snow and moisture comes out of the clouds. So is this a difference from uh, the other areas that people love, like Deer Valley and Park City, or are they getting the same sensation? So they, Park City and Deer Valley, are in Park City. So their, their base is 2,000 feet lower than ours. Oh, really? Yep, and Brighton's a little bit lower, but they get a little bit of the same thing. Being at the top, we're at the top of Little Cottonwood Canyon. Brighton is at the top of Big Cottonwood Canyon. Okay. So they get a little bit of that too, but ours is a large canyon that the clouds come up and they just stop. They get stuck in the canyon. That's a good thing. At the head of the canyon, That's yes. A good thing. And then they dump all the snow on us. Well, you know, what everybody loves coming from the East Coast in particular is that flying into Salt Lake and then getting out to whether it's Park City or Alta is a, is nothing. 40 minutes. 40 minutes. It's wonderful. Yeah, I, I really can never understand why Denver moved the Stapleton Airport further away from the mountains and made it so much more difficult for people right. to get out to Vail or Aspen or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and how would you compare the snow there? Because it's, to me, the Colorado skiing is, is different. It's different. It's higher density snow. Okay, so it's, it's harder to turn in. Correct. Okay. And not that we don't get some higher density snows here, because each storm is different. If we get a southwest flow, that'll be warm. Right. So we'll get a higher density snow. But for we're really known for that really light powder. So a lot of Colorado storms are from the southwest. So they get a little bit more of that higher density snow. It, you know, it's just trickier. It's stickier, too. It is. That's, there's more water in it. There's more water in it. Yes. So uh, last month, I was skiing Stowe, Vermont, uh -huh. which is, is a lovely, lovely place, but it is just horrific skiing, bad conditions. How do you tell folks like myself, we, you've been skiing on the ice in Vermont or uh, upstate New York or wherever, and then you come out here and it's, it's, it's like... La La Land, because it's it's so gentle and lovely, and and tough. you know it looks like a cupcake. Right. Um, but it's a completely different style of skiing because of the edging that's required in a Vermont situation. So, oh, how do you help folks adapt to that so they're skiing their best? Because you know you can look like a hero out here, mm -hmm. but you still want to be doing it correctly. Right. 
And that's the idea is we now teach skiing. It, it used to be we all learned how to use our body to turn the ski. 20 years ago, that's what we all learned. It was a pull plant up, turn the ski with your legs. It's no longer like that. We ski a ski as it's designed to be skied. So the way you're doing it doesn't really change from soft to ice in the new uh, using the ski. It doesn't change that much. It will still work if we use the design of the ski. Billions of dollars have gone into ski design. Yes. And if we use the design of the ski as it's to be used with pressure, pressure on the front of it, it will progressively edge and carve in, in ice and it will progressively edge and carve in powder. So you guys call it the athletic stance or athletic yep. attitude with shoulders downhill. Yep. Right? Yep. And that puts the pressure on the front of the boot, which puts pressure on the front of the ski, which turns the ski. Yes. Ah. Yes. Yay. Now I wish I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> so, so what else do we need to know? What else do people need to know if they're coming out? How can you incent people who haven't tried? I, I think that there is a reputation in skiing that it's uh, for the well-to-do. And that can be off-putting for some families. There must be ways to have families come out and, uh, I don't know, take advantage maybe of situations that allow them to do it, even if it's uh, economically challenging. Yeah, I think um, early season and late season okay. are a really good way to not pay high season prices. Right. You can definitely get... Alta is still one of the most inexpensive ski resorts to buy a ticket at if you buy them online. All right. So those are, and the three-day packages are great. You can, um, you know, you can do that. You can stay in the valley if you want to. That's a little less expensive than staying up here on the mountain. You can use you public know, I transit. I was about to say the public transportation out here is excellent. It is. You can even stay in Salt Lake City. You can. And take a bus if you choose to do that. Yep. Right? You take a tracks line and then the bus. Right. Yeah. So what would you recommend as far as women coming up in skiing who you might encourage to become professionals such as yourself? I mean, pe people like me look at you and go, wow, how'd you do that? It's, I mean, it's really, it is amazing. Um, are there uh, ways to get, and I'm starting with girls, I'm talking about very young women, young girls. Uh, how do you draw them in so that they can end up creating these camps and doing these wonderful things for women in the future? Yeah, I think that's uh, uh, what we're seeing at the Elta Ski School right now. I have a hard time pulling women in to coach these camps. So we're really starting from ground zero and we're bringing up our own coaches. We're finding that's the best way to do it. Right. And these girls are just getting out of high school. They're good skiers they have a desire to teach kids to start with. We all started teaching kids. So that's just where you start. You get your level one as soon as you can, and then you can start getting experience. Once you get experience, and you can do that while you're in college, you can do it just out of college. And one of my biggest things that um, I work toward is equality for women in this sport. Thank you, Jen. It's a huge Thank deal. Because it is still a male-dominated sport. Which is interesting because it, if you look at the statistics, there are a lot of 
great women skiers. And, or if you even look at uh, the highest level of skiing, at the, the Lindsay Vaughn level, yeah. although she just retired. But she did. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. She is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think this goes back to the whole equality question anyway. Do you think that skiing is behind or where it should be or ahead of where we are with the whole hashtag me too where where does skiing fall in mm, that's a really good question um i think we all work for businesses and businesses are hypersensitive now to making things politically correct making things more fair listening to everyone and i think that's affected the ski industry in a good way right where we all have to be more aware that's just like how life is and culture is now. Right. And I think that's a really good thing. I still think there is a pay equality gap in seeing, I mean, I think if you took a, uh, around the north or around uh, the west here, I think if you were to take a uh, poll and see how many supervisors are women and how many, you know, those upper level management jobs in ski schools, I think you still have more men than women. It's just, the, I, it's, just it's a sport and I think women get pulled away when they become moms they have to take a job that pays more money they have women get pulled away for certain reasons that maybe men don't right so I think that's why we lose some of the women along the way that are young great skiers happy to be here um, when they become moms they quit doing it or their husband moves for work or you know, there's, there's just right. more Right, they're uh, not always the priority, right. being the ski instructor. Right. So that means we just need more women to make sure that the pool has this type of availability. Yeah. That, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So aside from Alton, of course, Utah being fabulous, and Montana where you grew up, where's a favorite place in the world to ski? Uh, I lived in Chamonix for a while. Oh, and now that's fancy. I loved it. Yes. It was wonderful. Wonderful. I worked as a climbing guide, and I just, it was it's a really lovely place. So the European skiing is so different f from what I've experienced simply because they don't have what appear to be the same regulations as the U.S. They don't. And has that changed at all? I mean, I haven't been there for a couple of years, but mm -hmm. I always felt like unless you were a, a, a fairly good and very aware skier, you had no business <laughs> <laughs> running around Europe on skis. It depends where you go. Some of it's glaciated, some of it's not. Uh, if you find a resort that's not glaciated, Courchevel, Maribel, the, the Three Valley area, I mean, there's several, uh, Switzerland, uh, that are non-glaciated. So they are much more user-friendly. You can see, it's not like here. You know, when you go into a ski area in the U.S., it's all controlled. It's all, you can go pretty much anywhere until you see a line that's closed. Right. In Europe, if you ski off-piste, if yes. you ski the ungroomed, that you are responsible for yourself. Right. Regardless of whether that's been controlled, not controlled, it, it's just things happen over there and they are such a non-litigious society that they're like, that happened. And well, you, someone was killed and, and that's they were responsibility. Probably, yeah, and they shouldn't have been off-piste. <laughs> right. And uh, what... What I don't really understand is the, the the glacier aspect of skiing versus the regular. I mean, I know what a glacier is. Yes. But there's glacier skiing. There are. Okay. So you must know how to do that. 
And what, yeah. and is it different equipment or no? It is. You ski with a harness on and you ski with half a rope in your backpack so you can always do a crevasse rescue. Ah. So if you fall in, you can get your partner out. Really? So that's, do you, you try not do to fall like in. That? <laughs> is that fun to do? It is fun. It is. The Vallée Blanche uh, in, in, in Chamonix, it's a beautiful long ski out uh, down this glacier. It's, it's classic. People have been doing it for a hundred years. Okay, here's the dumb question of the whole interview. It's, it's glacier. I mean, that's ice, right? Really, technically, it's ice with snow over the top. Ah, but not yeah. a lot of snow. No. I mean, aren't there spots where it's just ice? Yeah, and they a big crevasse. You can go to the edge and look in. Really, it's 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 definitely a different way of skiing. And when I was up there, there were small children that you know that their parents brought up there, and they just know the rule that you follow your parent and. They know their way through it, and that's that's how that is. But that's not all over Europe. There's many areas that have no glaciers. You can pretty much ski anywhere. Um, it's just a little bit different than here. You you have to be more responsible for yourself. What's what's fun over there? I mean, here I know that I could just go right over to Snowbird if I want from Alta, and that's all fabulous. I uh, I was skiing Zermatt once, and I had my passport with me so that I could just hop over and ski in Slovenia and be in Italy. Yeah. Uh, for lunch. Yep. And uh, the thing that I found so fabulous about it was that everyone's lying around in lounge chairs outside drinking wine and smoking. <laughs> and um, I really felt like it was in a Bond movie. I, I <laughs> thought it was tremendous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, that's how, when I take clients to Europe, and I usually go every three years or so, I'll take Oh, what a do you do? Take a group? Yep. Oh, I'll sign up for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. And we'll go, and we usually, if it's a nice day, we'll put some water and a power bar in our pocket and ski till three, and then we'll find the nicest place with the nicest wine. And they're and everywhere. They're everywhere. There's just these hidden cabins full yeah. of five-star chefs. It's yeah. just insane. It's, and have Rocolette have whatever oh, yes. we want. Right. And then we'll find, we've found um, a bus, a, a um, sleigh with horses, We've taken trains back. We've taken, uh, this guy gave us a ride in the back of his truck. You know, we just find a way to get back to our hotel. Mm -hmm. And it's just a lovely way to experience the European culture. The skiing isn't always as good. I always have to tell people the skiing isn't what well, we're used to here no. outside. It's, it's, not, it not. it's not that fluffy powder stuff. It's yeah. just not. Yeah. And in fact, there have been years where there's really no snow at all and they're not creating it in the same way. And you're talking about places that are so vast that they couldn't possibly cover them with snow. Right. If it hasn't been naturally done by God. Right. <laughs> Huge bowls. Huge, Huge bowls. Yeah. It's just really amazing. Yeah. So Jen Scott, uh, the program manager for the... Al Lincoln Ski School. Yes. Yeah. So, well, when are we going to have a ski school named after a woman? Oh, well, that would be great. Yeah, maybe you. Maybe you're maybe. next. Maybe you're <laughs> next. Any last words for us on getting getting folks out here, keeping the sport alive? I read something funny the other day that you'd appreciate. Again, I think it was in the New York Times, and they were talking about um, climate change, which is not funny. It's not. But how all of these fancy people who ski should be doing more to make sure that we're doing the right things for climate change because we are seeing significant, significant yep. lack, you know, change and lack of snow in yep. certain areas and warmer seasons, shorter seasons. Yep. 
And so I think we all need to st- sort of think about that too. Yeah, a great group of that uh, produces, a, a, they produce different uh, lectures on it, is Save Our Winters. Ah. Save Our Winters and Protect Our Snow. And I think it's really important. I think people need to get out and ski. It is such a wonderful sport. It is freedom. It's it freedom. is sliding on, on skis. It is just so fun. Take a lesson. Enhance your ability to do what you do. Even if you can't change a bunch of things, enhance your ability and enjoyment of what you want to do. Understand what you're trying to do. And it just makes it so much more fun. All right. Well, so this has been a great time with Jen Scott on What's the Story. We've covered everything from women, equality, hashtag me too, climate change, all, all in good fun. All in good fun though, here in Alta, Utah. Thank you, Jen Scott, for joining me today. Thank you. I, again, it's Kim Burns with What's the Story.